Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Well, hello there, Table family. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at just one verse there in Matthew 7, so you can get your Bibles, your apps ready. If we hadn't had a chance to meet, or if this is your first time watching on the stream, my name is Doug. I give leadership to this young adult ministry we call The Table, and I'm one of the pastors on staff at First Baptist Orlando, and we're so excited uh, if you're joining us for the first time. If it's uh, the second or more, or you're a regular with us, welcome back. So excited you're here. Be sure to uh, post up some comments in the section uh, below. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you uh, in a little bit. Uh, as we get going, I want to set this up uh, in this way. We are in the midst of a four-week message series or a series of talks on the essential characteristics of God. You know, when we think about God, uh, no matter where we start, whether kind of natural philosophy or if we start in the Bible, we, we kind of have to describe what his essential characteristics are. Uh, we, we have to be able to describe and define who he is. And last week I thought Isaac did a really good job of defining one aspect, one major aspect of God's character, and that is his greatness. God is transcendently great. God exists independently from the universe, such that there are, when you look at the kind of the wide spectrum of things, there are kind of two things that we know for sure. There is the universe and there's God. And they're, they're independent of one another. God exists outside the universe. The Bible also says, if you start there, that there's a second chief characteristic of God, and that is he is eminently good. That means while he is transcendently great and exists independently from the universe, he still wants to interact with and love the universe and love the creation within the universe and love humans in the universe. And he brings about beauty and moral goodness and these kind of qualities, and they're an extension of himself. And so that's the aspect I want to uh, meditate on here this evening. And to set it up, I want to talk about one of my favorite restaurants from when I was younger, uh, a place called CeCe's Pizza. Now, let me just tell you that seven-year-old Doug Hankins could eat some CeCe's Pizza. And 17-year-old Doug Hankins could eat some CeCe's Pizza. In fact, we lived in a small town in East Texas that did not have a CeCe's Pizza. We were not that sophisticated uh, yet in my hometown. Uh, but... Anytime we went to an adjacent town, Lufkin, Texas, we'd go over to see our friends. It was part of our ritual and routine that we would always eat at CeCe's Pizza. And let me just tell you also that CeCe's Pizza in Lufkin, Texas lost a lot of money when I came in because I could put down some pizza. And in fact, I remember being 12 years old and going to a CeCe's Pizza and on this particular time I said, uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to break the record for most pizza eaten in one sitting. And so I counted 20 plates of seven slices of pizza. That's right. Uh, you can do the math there. 140 slices of pizza that I ate as a 12-year-old in Lufkin, Texas. And um, let me also tell you, I was feeling it later on. But I could put away some pizza. I loved CeCe's Pizza. I would consider at age 12, at age 17, at age 7, I would consider CeCe's Pizza to be really good pizza. And then something strange happened. I went to college. And I remember going to college and being exposed to new kinds of foods. I started dating my now wife. And she would uh, bake for me and cook for me. And she would take me to kind of sophisticated places uh, 
uh, Taco Bell. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but she would take me to some some nicer places. She would cook me food, uh, farm to table food, what we know now, farm to table food. She would, you know, raise her own vegetables and that kind of stuff. Anyway, totally changed my diet. I remember one time after we were married, we went, uh, we were hungry. We saw CeCe's Pizza on the side of the road. We we're like, oh, hey, let's stop. So we stopped. We went into a CeCe's Pizza. And I was thinking, man, if I put away 140 pieces when I was 12, I should be able to put away like 200 pieces now because I was a man, right? And we went in and I started eating CeCe's Pizza and it was disgusting. I couldn't get through it. I was like, Nelly, we've got to get out of here. Now, I asked this question to myself as I'm driving away from that experience. What changed? What changed from age 12 to you know being a grown man? What changed? Did I change? Did the food change? I couldn't make it. It seemed to me that because I'd had new experiences and I'd gathered new data, my understanding of the quality of CeCe's Pizza had not adequately changed with my ever-changing standards of what is good. And I realized that probably CeCe's didn't change, I changed, and so therefore I could no longer call CeCe's good. And this brought me to this philosophical epiphany. As a human being, and you guys will know this, as human beings, our understanding of good is uniquely subjective. We change our understanding of what good is uh, all the time. As we have new experiences and gather new data, we subjectively move and modify our metric for what is considered good as we go. We do this with pizza. We also do this with relationships. Uh, you know, you may have experienced this, or you know the person who he started dating that girl, and before they started dating, she was this perfect girl out there, and he would pine for her, and he would dream about dating her, and finally he got up the nerve to ask her out. She said yes, and they started dating. They DTR, and they started dating. And then after a while, he noticed some interesting things about her, like she doesn't wear makeup all the time. And when she doesn't wear makeup, she looks different than when she does wear makeup. Or maybe he went over to her house one day when she was sick to take care of her and realized she goes to the bathroom. Uh, or she vomits. Or she does all these other things. And suddenly that guy's perspective of her perfection begins to shift with new experiences, with new data. And he now no longer thinks of her as good. He thinks of her as just okay. And then after a while, he's like, man, I could never date a girl like her. So he breaks up with her. Well, what happened? Did she change? Probably not that much because girls are incredibly consistent and guys are idiots. But what happened was he changed. New experiences, new data caused him to change his expectations of what good is and they broke up. We do this all the time with movies or with music. What we used to like and used to listen to when we were younger, we used to watch when we were younger, we no longer like or listen to now. Our understanding of good is subjective and it changes. We do this with friendships. Who we used to be friends with when we were younger, we're no longer friends with now. Our understanding of good is subjective and it changes with new experiences and new data. And this is a problem. It's a problem for humans. And it's a problem you probably uh, have come to understand. Because our definition of good changes as we progress in life, we can find ourselves um, increasingly dissatisfied with how we're consuming the world around us. We find ourselves increasingly disappointed at the world around us. And this can leave us hopeless and um, in a sense of despair and in a sense of depression. And so the question arises in the midst of this mental exercise we're doing here, how should a human being proceed in life with respect to goodness? Uh, is there any solution to this problem we find where goodness is a subjective term that uh, continually diminishes as we grow and change in life? Is there any way for us to reclaim a sense of goodness that is objective uh, and is a standard with which we can live by? And that brings us to the Bible. 
Because the Bible says this about God. God is perfectly good. And in fact, Jesus makes it really relational as he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Here's what he says in verse 11. If you then, being evil, he's talking about human beings, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying a lot and a very little here. He's saying, we know God is in heaven. He is great. He exists independently from the universe. God is independently trans, uh, transcendent and great. He exists in heaven. But even though he exists in heaven, even though he's transcendently great, he is also a good father who gives good gifts. And if you need a definition of what good is, you can just look to him. And so this brings us to make two observations about goodness with respect to objective reality. The first one is this. We need to be mindful of our ever-changing imperfection. Jesus calls us evil. And what does it mean to be evil? It means to be imperfect. It means that our standards are always fluctuating. They're always changing. We used to say this is up and this is down, but now we say this is down and this is up. And, you know, we used to say that this is good and this is bad, but now we say this is bad and this is good. And so our standards are always changing and we're imperfect. We can't rely, in fact, on our own standards of things. This is what it means to be evil. Evil people uh, don't set out to be evil. I don't know if you ever have discovered that. It's a newsflash for you. Evil people don't set out to be evil. No one wakes up and goes, I'm going to do evil today. People wake up and say, I'm going to try to do the best I can. The problem is that their standards are incredibly subjective and they're ever-changing. I'll give you a great example of this. Um, you can imagine the husband who comes home for Mother's Day. Now, this is not me. I want to be really clear. This did not happen. But you can imagine the husband who comes home and gives his wife a gift on Mother's Day. And she opens it, and it is some lingerie. Now, the wife, probably through four smiles, like, thanks. And the husband's like, I thought you would like that. Now, did the husband really think she would like that? No. It looks like a gift. It seems like it's a gift. But really, the intention of the gift is not to benefit the recipient of the gift. The intention of lingerie is to benefit the sender of the gift. Because no woman wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I want to wear today? Lingerie. In fact, I'm of the opinion that most women wake up each day and say, how can I find the most comfortable clothing possible? Okay, I want an oversized t-shirt that's a little bit stretchy and some yoga pants, and that's all I want to wear today. No woman wakes up and goes, I'm wearing lingerie today. The only reason a husband would give his wife the gift of lingerie is not to benefit her. It's to benefit him, right? His standard of goodness is whatever benefits me in that scenario. And Jesus uses this exact kind of situation. Someone giving a good gift to another person says, we kind of know what it means to give a good gift. We also know what it means to not give a good gift. But despite all that, we need to be aware that we are incredibly evil people. And we will fool ourselves into believing we're giving a good gift when in actuality, it's just the covering of a good gift. And secretly, deep down, it's an incredibly evil gift. We do this all the time. We uh, buy tickets to a baseball game and invite our friend to go with us because it's a good gift and we want to include them when really we just want someone to sit with us at the game, right? Um, we do things all the time that are incredibly selfishly motivated and we need to be aware of the fact that human beings are by nature evil. We will constantly change our standards. We will be imperfect um, in the way that we think about categories of good and evil. So what should we do in that? Jesus tells us, and he tells us the second thing, God's goodness 
God's goodness. We can understand it by looking at human goodness. But it's not the amplification of human goodness. It's the perfection of human goodness. Even when we are mostly good and a little bit evil, and we go, ah, that seems like it's good enough. For humans, it's, it's rarely ever good. It's mostly good enough. When we think about what good actually is, we can think about God. And God's character is such that he is the perfection of what we often get wrong. We try to give good gifts, right? And we think it's mostly good. God is 100% good. He is a perfect, never-changing standard of goodness. He is morally perfect. He is perfect in the way that he loves. He is the perfect in the way that he expresses and understands beauty. He is perfect in everything that he does of an ethical and a moral and a loving nature. That's what it means to be good. And his standard of goodness, again, it's not shifting, it's not changing, it's not an amplification of human goodness, it's not what we consider to be good just really loud, it's actually the perfection of what we understand to be good. If we can imagine in our mind's eye what the perfect ideal of goodness is, that's getting close to what God is. And just as we see good fathers give their kids good gifts, even though it may be a little bit imperfect, okay, we have at least a benchmark for what God's goodness is. His goodness is morally perfect. He always gives these gifts, which consider the, the recipient first and gives it in such a way that we receive the immense blessing and beauty and love inherent in that gift. That's what it means that God's good. And so I come back to our original question. What's the solution for the peril of humanity who constantly tries to live in such a way uh, that um, imperfect um, execution of good and bad leaves us despondent and um, leaves us in a situation where we just don't know what we can do? What's the solution for that? Well, Jesus tells us this. We can meditate on the goodness of God. We can think about the goodness of God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this, and it's our key idea here. The secret to getting the most out of this life is to orient our sense of reality around God's goodness, not the other way around. Let me say that again. The secret to getting the most out of this life is to orient ourselves around the goodness of God, not the other way around. See, when we orient our entire life around our own sense of goodness, which is ever-changing, that's just going to lead us to more anxiety and more depression and more frustration. However, when we orient our sense of right and wrong, our sense of good and bad, our sense of up and down around God's goodness, we orient, around, uh, orient our life around something that is completely consistent, which never changes, which is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that gives us such a sense of peace and calm uh, and relaxation at the goodness and the perfection that is in the world because it's an extension of God's own goodness. And so if this is true. If the secret to getting the most out of life is to orient ourselves around the sense of God's goodness, then I think um, it can inform some practices that will help us find a uh, horizon line anytime we find ourselves disoriented at our own lack of goodness or at our own inconsistency. And so one of the things Paul mentions by extension here, he says, hey, if anyone is ever anxious in this life, if anyone is ever um, nervous, is, if anyone's ever feeling the inconsistency of their own goodness, then here's what we do. We do one thing really well. We practice thanking God for the way that he's been giving things to us as a good, good father. In fact, sometimes I'll give our staff or our residents or uh, other leaders this exercise. I'll say, okay, I want you to practice writing thank you notes to God for every good gift he's ever given you. And almost immediately, 
everyone is overwhelmed because they get like 10 things in and they're like, oh man, my hand's going to cramp up. I don't, I don't practice writing notes enough to do this. Like I'm going to be writing here for hours and hours and hours because God has given so many good things to me. So in fact, if I were to give you this exercise, if in your mind you were going to think through, okay, what should I thank God for? I, I already started a list for you. So let's just, let's just consider this. Um, you can answer yes or no to this. Has God given you life today? If you're watching this, there's a good chance he has. Has he continued to give you oxygen to breathe? Has he given you a car to drive or someone to drive you around? Has he given you the means to own a digital device or a phone or a computer so you can watch the stream right now? Has he given you some people who know you and who you know, and in theory, you can get to know them better? Has God given you incredible gifts and talents and passions? Has God given you something to look forward to, even if it's just the next Netflix episode or Hulu episode or Disney Plus episode? Okay, I'm, I'm about 10 items in right now, and my suspicion is most of you on screen, most of you watching this, are answering yes to this. So what if you were to sit down and write out a thank you list of everything God has given to you up to this point? My suspicion is you would conclude that God has already given you more than enough that he has given you so much more than you could ever ask or imagine or wish for, to the extent that if he never gave you another thing in this life, you would still have abundant reason to thank him and praise him and orient yourself around who he is. Why? Because he's a good father who, although he's great, although he's other, he still intercedes in our life and gives us good things. And so what we can do, if you're someone who struggles with orienting yourself around the goodness of God, you can practice thankfulness. In fact, maybe after this episode here, maybe after this message, you want to like click pause and you want to sit down and you want to write out a list of thank you notes to God just to say, hey, I want to remember all the ways that you have given to me in the past because you're such a good person. Instead of starting with the disposition, God, what have you done for me lately? I think it'd be really good if we started from the disposition, God, you have done more for me than I could ever ask or imagine. I owe a lifetime of following you without any more gifts, just based on how you've given for me. And if that were the end of the story, we would say, hey, that's good enough. God really has given me so much. I understand the perfection of his goodness, and that's enough. I'm happy to be a bondservant and follow him. But notice how Jesus ends this passage. Even though he establishes God is good and never changing, and he's consistent the way he does this, that we, we have no need to ask him of anything in the future because he's been so good to us. Notice how Jesus ends this passage. He says this, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In fact, Jesus will say a little bit later, Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Uh, Forever asks shall be given, and whoever knocks the door shall be opened to him. Because again, your father is a good father in heaven who gives good gifts. Even though God has given us so much, and even though we're under no obligation to request anything more from him in this life, the way we can see his goodness is because he tells us, I'm still your father, and I want to give you good things, so keep asking. So here's what I want to invite you to do. We're going to sing a song in just a little bit called The Goodness of God. Before we sing that song, I want to invite you to pray right now. And really, this one is a prayer where you go to the Father and you practice asking Him for the things you need. What is it you need in life right now? I want to invite you to ask. And maybe God will give it to you. 
Or maybe he'll tell you, no, that's not for right now, but we can talk about that later. Or maybe he'll say, no, that's never something I want to give you, but I want to give you something even better. You couldn't even ask or imagine if you asked it right now. In, in any way, in any way he responds, I want us to be mindful of our own evil desires and inconsistency. And I want to invite you to pray with me right now and ask God for the things we need. Jesus, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for our good father. Would you give us the things we need right now in your name? for our good and the good of the city we love. Orlando, amen.